the UK SSD podcast, bringing the Sustainable Development Goals to life. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter, produced in partnership with UK SSD, UK Stakeholders for Sustainable Development, the network that supports organisations who are working to advance sustainable development and helps to facilitate the delivery of the SDGs in the UK. I'm delighted to be co-hosting this series with Emily Auckland, who is Network Director. Emily, welcome back to Planet Pod and this special UK SSD edition. Hi, Amanda. Thank you very much for having us with you again. Now, this is the final podcast in our series exploring the Sustainable Development Goals and the UK's recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, we believe that the SDGs will ensure we create a socially just and green recovery from the pandemic. We can use them to frame and future-proof our plans and to work together across the whole of society. They have the widespread support of businesses and other organisations, and the UK government has committed to them. So we don't need to start from scratch as we decide what is important for a post-pandemic UK. And of course, manufacturing and the role of business in the UK is hugely important for that post-pandemic recovery. And who better than to discuss this today than our two guests from Made in Britain? Chris Harrop is Sustainability Director at Marshalls PLC and Chairman of Made in Britain, the network that brings together the UK's manufacturing community. At Marshalls, Chris is not only committed to making environment and supply chain ethics a reality by upholding the principles of human rights and labour rights, he's also thoroughly committed to the SDGs. He was previously chairman of the UN Global Compact UK Network and still sits as a non-exec director of the Ethical Trade Initiative. Chris, welcome to Planet Pod and thanks for joining us. Hi, it's, uh, it's lovely to be here. I look forward to our discussion. Our second guest describes himself as on a mission to unite and grow the British manufacturing industry, a sector worth £393 billion. And as CEO of Made in Britain, John Pearce is in an ideal position to do just that. His role there follows a long and successful career in strategic management and leadership, as well as heading up the Great Britain campaign, the UK government's global branding project. John, welcome to Planet Pod and thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. We're at a challenging time for the UK at the moment across all sectors, but recently we've heard a huge amount about support for the service sector, for bars and restaurants and retail, perhaps less so about manufacturing. I wonder if we could start this conversation by getting a sense of context, just how much manufacturing do we have in the UK and what are some of the principal activities that are going on? Um, John, maybe we could start with you to give us a paint us a picture a little bit. Yeah, I can paint a picture of the SME manufacturing community because that's 90% of our, roughly 90% of our membership um, is is in the SME category, which is normally described as as businesses in the sort of 30 to 40 million bracket or lower. Um, and I mean, if I, if I were to describe that and the community of our members, I would say that it's thriving, uh, despite all of the turmoil that we've seen. I would say that this is a group that's thriving. Our membership has grown. Um, we have uh, today, there are 1,267 members of Made in Britain. Um, they've all got factories. They all employ people. They've all, uh, they've all got through the worst of the, of the pandemic crisis. Um, and I think uh, I can speak for most of them, at least. Um, I haven't spoken to all of them. Um, but we do see a lot of optimism about what the recovery will look like, how it will be shaped and how it will uh, be done in a more rational way, I suppose. You know, people will have to consider that uh, manufacturing in Britain, manufacturing closer to home will be an important part of how that recovery happens. So most of those manufacturing businesses are, as you say, SMEs. So they're small scale manufacturers. Is that right? 
Yeah, smaller scale, but uh, really important. You know, size isn't everything in manufacturing. We've got a diversity in the group that is uh, mind-blowing. Um, Chris, would you say it's mind-blowing, our diversity? Absolutely, John. I mean, it, it ranges from everything. So, you know, to, from, from kind of building materials right the way through to, uh, to specialist papers, coffee machines, uh, bathroom fixtures, um, recycle materials, reuse materials. I mean, a, a whole plethora. I mean, if you can name a manufactured good, we probably have a member who does or could be producing it. Yeah. So that puts pay to that myth that we're just importing everything, doesn't it? Because I think a lot of people talk, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the manufacturing industry. And when we talk about manufacturing mm. and making things in Britain, people think of big scale manufacturers. I mean, obviously, you know, Chris, you're in a, a huge organisation, but they think of, you know, maybe the Rolls Royces or something. They don't mm. necessarily think of all of those smaller scale producers who are so vital to the economy and to our economic recovery. Yeah. I think, I mean, one of the key things is there's, there's certainly not, most of the members aren't playing in the low quality mass market materials. They are certainly focused on where Britain is really good, innovation, quality, um, and certainly now and a growing aspect of being sustainable, whether that's either environmentally or ethical. So perhaps if we reflect back on the experience over the last few months, Amanda's made that point around um perhaps a misunderstanding about manufacturing in the UK. Has that changed slightly? Because actually we've seen a lot of media profile of UK manufacturers pivoting their product lines to support communities, support society during this crisis. Do you think that's, uh, has that affected your members? Have your members done that? And, and what kind of role do you think that could play in, in kind of our understanding of the value of manufacturing to the UK in the future? We have a, a news service for our members, so members can publish their own uh, news, their updates uh, about what they're doing, whether that's sponsoring a local football team or achieving a massive export order. They can tell us their news as, lo as long as it's good, positive, non-political news, then we will publish it. Uh, we check it, obviously. And looking at our news stream in the past 100 days, I've been overwhelmed by how many of our members have been pivoting around PPE in the early stages of the crisis, but, but also you know, thinking of new products that they can make that will be helpful to the British economy uh, under the circumstances. Um, the one that springs to mind first of all is the sneeze screens. We've got mem members, multiple <laughs> members that are making sneeze screens, which I didn't even know that was a thing before <laughs> a few months ago. But yeah, I mean, the, this is a group of companies that are incredibly versatile. And, um, you know, we, we take it as given that they have a passion for making things and that involves designing things and financing the mach machinery you need and uh, selling things as well. I mean, our, our main focus is on, on selling more of what the products uh, that our members make. But I think, um, yeah, if, the, if the, there's a number of sort of silver linings, if you like, it, it's probably a bit too early for all the silver linings on this subject. But uh, we've seen that our, our members have wanted to really put their head above the parapet a little bit and say, look, we are here. We are partially open or fully open in some cases. And that we do want to, you know, pivot around, you know, making the most appropriate thing, you know, given that that might be something totally different to what they were making pre-crisis. Well, I mean, we've certainly seen how flexible and innovative um, our, our members and, and British manufacturers can be. You know, they, the sea screens, and no one had ever heard of them before. And, and so, you know, that's come from nowhere. And, and our members are very, very good at um, changing their business in against the, the growing and changing needs that, that we see around us. And I think 
you know, as we've gone through the pandemic, a lot of them have responded to the very real challenges of global supply chains and the fact that, you know, shipping was, was closed down. Lots of parts of, you know, certainly the Chinese economy was closed for a period. India is still struggling majorly with uh, supply chain issues. And, you know, the UK economy needs to have a vibrant manufacturing industry to enable us to, to continue to, to, you know, produce the products and the, and the goods that, that we need. So the supply chain security piece is really important, but we must be do we must do that. And I think one of the things that's good about our membership looking at it is they're able to do that generally with a lower product carbon footprint and and better um, labor and human rights. Now that's not to damn international supply chains, and I wouldn't seek to ever do that because there are very good examples. But certainly from a climate change perspective, it's far far better to be making the most appropriate products back in Britain. Yeah, I would agree. And um, that's where the SDGs are so powerful, because, I mean, I think that a lot of people might think that the, the goals are actually about large organisations, but actually they're as relevant and as applicable and as useful a structure and a tool to those smaller organisations mm. as well, aren't they? I mean, that, you know, your members will really benefit from having that as a framework to focus on. But, but SDG 12 is really important because, you know, and the, and the most the first word in SDG 12 is the most important one, responsible. So it's responsible consumption and production so it's not saying that every single thing has to be made in britain but it's the most appropriate thing to be made in britain with the best outcome for the three p's people planet and profit and and sometimes you know the the, the, the easiest way to communicate with our members is to tell them what they're already doing that they didn't know was relevant you know our, our members obviously have the union of of being all of them are making something that is geographically closer to the point at which it's being used. Um, and that might escape some of our members sometimes. You know, it's a very important key marketing PR message for our members is I'm making something that was that is within a few hours drive of where it's going to be used. Um, that's a fabulous message, not just for SDG 12, but for many of the others and the interconnectivity of the of the goals. I mean, I... I a great fan of them uh, as a language for for our members and we have used them we we obviously talk mainly about um, sdg 12 but you know using the framework of the sdgs and the way they're presented as a language for referring to you know what our members are already achieving and what they can already you know boast about a little bit you know so just shout a bit louder about you know the, the subject of climate action for example sdg 13 um, you know, if you're if you're making something and selling it to someone who's who's an hour's drive away, then that is definitely making things better and not worse uh, than than bringing it in from the other side of the world. Yeah, the other half of SDG 12 though, is about um, consumption as well as production, mm. isn't it? And I think that one of the problems we've got is that we are over consuming as a planet, both resources and objects. So, so mm. how do you frame that conversation, Emily? Because actually, what we're talking about is where, you know, maybe we're talking about remade in Britain as well as made in Britain here. I mean, we we really want people to consume responsibly as well as produce responsibly. So, that, and that's difficult when you're looking at reigniting an economy <coughs> and encouraging people to, to you know, to to, to get back out there. We were told to shop for Britain, which is a rather frightening thought when we're all talking about actually reducing what we consume and reducing our footprints. I think, it, I mean, it is a tension that exists within the SDGs. It's a tension that exists within sustainability, right? We, we have seen during this pandemic the uh, deep structural inequalities that exist within the UK. 
and the fact that far too many people are under consuming what we'd consider to be basic needs, you know, food, shelter, um, probably not water, but maybe electricity uh, and heating, uh, although possibly not during a heat wave. Um, So, you know, we've seen that actually we have high levels of inequality. We've got people not consuming things. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we are consuming things in a way that is not sustainable for the planet. And that's not just in the UK, but, you know, in the health of our natural environment here, but also globally. And so how do you bring that back into balance so that actually you're increasing and addressing, you're increasing the consumption of basic needs for people that don't have enough? And you're and you're reducing that, and, and obviously a lot of that is through uh, efficiency changes and where you're sourcing materials from, reuse, mm. circular economy. But but ultimately, we are also just consuming too much stuff. And I, I do think that, um, and it's you know going back to the conversation we've had on previous podcasts in this series, that actually we perhaps have had an opportunity to question some of that during this situation where we've been forced not to to make decisions about what food we're buying or because we've had limited choices. Yeah. So we've perhaps been asked to revalue that stuff, but it'd be interesting to hear from, from Chris and John about you know, how do you manage that, that tension between we need to, we need to sell things. We need to produce things because that's good for our economy and we need those jobs and we need that growth, but also we need to make sure that we are, are not just consuming for the sake of consuming. Yeah. And, and you know, we're talking about the SDGs and SDG eight decent work and economic growth it's all about responsible economic growth and decent jobs and certainly through the pandemic we've seen uh, this in inequality in employment between service and manufacturing and one of the things that manufacturing is really good at is this level of innovation and quality so you know there are, there are lots of examples of where members in made britain are, are, t- are using the principles of the circular economy almost without using the language of a circular economy and to an extent the language doesn't matter what matters is that people are doing you know, responsible consumption of raw materials responsible reuse and um, and recycling and then promoting responsible uh, consumption by by consumers and and, and businesses um, but it is it's the quality of the employment as well, you know, that, that you get through a trained, well-motivated, well-engaged workforce producing good quality materials and good quality goods that, that are then being used responsibly. So a lot of the SDGs do start to link together. And certainly from a manufacturing perspective, this issue of decent work and economic growth is really important because it is the quality of the jobs and the training and the infrastructure that goes around it. Yeah, the other the other way that I think we can relieve some of that tension uh, that is sometimes intellectual tension, and sometimes it is a, a, a real uh, tension in the market of of consumer. You know, I think of a consumer who's who's worried about what choices to make when they do buy something. You know, we can't control people buying things that they don't need, but we can influence the things that they do need to buy, and we can influence their decisions and. You know, we have to look at, at the purpose of, for example, a, a mark like, uh, like, like the Made in Britain mark or even the, you know, the, the responsible consumption and production. What we ultimately want to do is to educate people who are making choices around those marks as to you know, what the difference it's going to make when they do make that choice. Um, and the, the beauty of the goals is that they give us a, a, a way to communicate that story simply. So we can say that uh, you know some of our members, and we we have written down a few few of our members that I know are, are, are trying to make 
really impressive efforts actually in circularity for example we've got members that are making uh, their entire product out of raw materials that are that would otherwise go to landfill uh, we've got a few members in that um, I can name a few but I, I don't want to pick favorites because I love what all of my of, members don't take what <laughs> kind of products because I think because John I think <clears> some <throat> people might not be sure what the circular economy means I mean it's a top, yeah. uh, you know it's a tag phrase and that we use a lot but for those listeners who who may be new to this mm. idea what do we mean by circular economy and what are some real examples of real life products that might fulfill that description yeah i th- think i mean j- just you know I, uh, I wouldn't want to preach about about the circular economy yet um but I, w- I would like to at some stage in the future because it is fascinating and it's highly relevant for manufacturers of course because you know ultimately uh you know i think i think everyone's agreed that we can't carry on taking all the resources out of um the natural environment and not actually putting them back responsibly or recycling them or giving them a better longevity score, which is another you know, problem for, for people being worried about, uh, about the short life expectancy of products that they buy. But you know, circularity in, in, its, in its purest sense is effectively you know, sending everything back to where it came from uh, so that it doesn't you know, go into landfill. I mean, at, at its first instance with um, manufacturers, we we do have manufacturers actually uh, that I've spoken to that said that nothing that they've ever made has ever n- not been welcome to be back at factory and recycled or reused or reconditioned and sent back out again. Um, now that's an aspiration in the car industry, but in Made in Britain membership, we have a, a company in the Midlands that makes coffee machines, and I know uh, because they've got evidence that every machine they've ever made has been welcomed back to factory after twenty or thirty years of use to be reconditioned and broken down into reusable parts or materials um, and to, be, to have a, an extended life. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's the thing about, about the smaller manufacturers is that it's easier to get to these exemplary stories uh, because their systems are effectively simplified because they're smaller businesses. Our average employment level at Made in Britain membership is just 30. That's very high for SME groups, but it's, it's fairly low to compared to the likes of... Um, the big automotive and aerospace companies. So I, I think, you know, the, the, this is an illustration really of, of what efforts are being made in smaller companies that are, are doing surprisingly well. And all they need really is for us to tell their story together so that the consumers can make the choice around, uh, around you know, being green or sustainable or whatever we call it. Uh, at least the consumer can make that choice. I mean, arguably there's sort of wider wider factors at play aren't there so you know if you are you you know what infrastructure is available nationally for repurposing recycling or reclaiming goods will impact on your members ability to actually deliver on that commitment that they're they're prepared to to take forward so I just I I kind of wonder we're talking a lot about your members who are obviously you know as you say really positive examples of um, sustainable and responsible manufacturers what about the kind of the wider sector? How, how do you think you kind of com- your members compare to what else is happening in, in the UK manufacturing industry when it comes to SDG 12 or the SDGs and sustainability in, in general? Um, I should without, probably without, pass, it, pass it on to Chris because he has more <laughs> contact with bigger businesses than I do. We do have some uh, bigger businesses, but Chris, you, are you happy to fill in on on the on the view from from the bigger businesses and how they approach this because Marshalls is one of our biggest members of Made in Britain. Yeah, I think the I mean, the, being a bigger business has has benefits clearly because there's this issues of scale, but it also is sometimes it can be a big ship to turn. 
So, you know, being a, you know, the, the SME sector, which is the majority, as John has said, of the, the Made in Britain members are usually able to be more flexible and are able to, to repurpose and, and come up with potentially faster solutions um, quicker. Um, so I think it, it, it swings aroundabouts. There are some very big businesses who are doing amazing things with, with kind of the, the circular economy and certainly with issues around sustainability. You know, sometimes it takes, um, you know, it takes an organization of scale to be able to, you know, do say what Marshalls has done. So, you know, produce the science-based target to, to impact climate change, to commit to towards a one and a half degree target with really detailed plans at every stage through the organization to achieve that. But that doesn't mean then that, that, that issues of tackling climate change aren't being addressed by the SME sector. Um, because, you know, they, you know they, the growth in the use of recycled energy and renewable energy, I should say, um, by the SME sector is, is huge. So you know, it, it's about a mindset as much as anything, I would suggest. Um, certainly what is coming through loud and clear from, from kind of the members and, and you know, large, medium and small is this massive desire. Um, we mentioned it before around Build Back Better. But just the, the amount of engagement that we're seeing around this, because people are seeing it. You know, we've, we've lived through the 100 days of the pandemic so far. We've seen the impact of the inequality. We've seen the impact of um, neglecting our infrastructure. We've seen the impact of climate change from a positive perspective. You know, if anybody that's looked at flight radar um, during the last 100 days and not seen any planes on the screen at all and looked up, saw a clear sky, heard nature, has nature coming back into the cities and into their gardens has seen the impact of these things. And I think consumers and therefore businesses are wanting to see a better recovery. Um, now, whether the government actually really understand and get hold of that is, is debatable. But generally, it's businesses where businesses lead, governments follow. And that's where the Recover Better and the SDGs are so powerful because they are linked. And let's not forget where they all came from, you know, the future we want and all of that research and collaboration that was done at the time. It, it's linking into this intrinsic desire of consumers to lead a more sustainable life. And whether they use the words or not, it, it's the practicality of what they want to do. And the Recover Better message is really powerful and, and is exactly the right time. So we all want to see a better recovery, but there is an issue here, isn't there? SDG one is no poverty. And the conversation we're having about consumer choice is fine if you can afford it. And there, how do we square that circle? As Emily was saying about, you know, consuming the right, being people being able to consume the right things, like having more energy, access to more energy, yeah. access to more food. I mean, I think sometimes we're having these conversations, but we're forgetting that for a lot of people, this isn't a choice about having a sustainable, well-made British product. It's about what can I afford? Mm. And as we enter a period, no doubt, of mass unemployment and economic decline, how are we going to balance that against people's ability to buy something very cheap mm. next day on Amazon that we know won't last, that we know has a terrible carbon footprint, but yeah. is affordable against something that they probably should, in inverted commas, be buying, which is British-made, sustainable, part of yeah. the circular economy and remade. Those aren't necessarily choices that lots of consumers can afford to make. Yeah. So, so how, do, how do we deal with that? It is tough. That's a really tough one. And, um, and I, th I think, you know, we're, we're talking about mainstreaming green, aren't we? All of us, the collective effort of UK SSD and uh, Made in Britain and, and all the people that are working on, on trying to mainstream these, these beliefs about what we should do as consumers. But we have to, to marry that with, with the fact that, that 
things are um, sometimes out of reach or people don't know what's green and what isn't or people have to make uh, compromised decisions uh, for their own circumstances. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's probably too big a, a question for us to take on in, in this uh, particular dialogue. But what Made in Britain does do to help with that is identify uh, the certain facts of SME manufactured products in Britain, which is not uh, expensive. Um, one of our key messages is definitely not, you know, these are expensive luxury items made in Britain. These are plastic boxes made in Lancashire. These are coffee machines made in Spaghetti Junction. Uh, these are slabs made all over the country, uh, sold by Marshalls. And, um, you know, I think educating people into what really is the value of things as well. You know, what, what, what is, you know, a difference of 10 or 20 percentage points in the value, monetary speaking, you know, we want to help them to make that evaluation against what that's offsetting. You know, if you're buying something that's made, uh, you know, a, a pop-up table for your local village hall that's made in Britain has, uh, you know, and, and has got a 20 or 30 year lifespan to it. You know, so what if that's 20 percent more expensive than one that's imported from another country? You know, well, you've and got the I extra 20 percent to spend. That's an easy conversation to have, isn't it? And, well, and if you haven't, well, that's, that's, well, where, that's where our problem is, isn't it? I mean, I think that we yeah. have to support and educate consumers. Yeah. We have to encourage government to understand that consumers need to be able to buy products for longevity, not you yeah. know, buy, buy cheap, buy twice. Yeah. But, but we need to support both manufacturers and we need to support consumers to be able to do yeah. that. Otherwise, well, we won't have a resilient recovery for all. We'll only have that's true. That's true. And we, have, we, we run a, a Made in Britain survey for consumers. Um, and we run it uh, once a year. And last year, the results on how much more people were prepared to pay for something made in Britain were, you know, um, they were, well, interesting in that people are only prepared to pay a little bit more. You know, we, we found that they would pay, pay between 5 and 10% more for a product that they knew was definitely made in this country. Now, that's not a great deal more, but it, is, it does mean that people recognise that there is a value uh, to something being made closer to where it's being used. And we, we, you know, spend every day of the working week, you know, trying to emphasise that fact that, you know, being made in Britain doesn't mean a Rolls-Royce car, you know, the most expensive car in the world. What it means is something that is made by somebody that you can phone up and they will tell you uh, where it's made and they might even introduce you to the person that made it. I think, I mean, it's also a question of spheres of influence, right? Actually, you know, what you can do as made in Britain or Marshalls or, or what we can do as UKSSD is, is work with others to push for a recognition that you know we need to address issues related to, to inequality and injustice we need to be vocal about that and we need to say that this is you know we need to do what we are able to do to address that within our own organizations but that ultimately you know for your members you've already touched upon the fact that actually you know manufacturers are more likely to um the, well employees of the manufacturing organizations that are members of made in britain were much more probably much more secure during this pandemic and you know were not in the sort of precarious position that many in the mm. gig economy or in the service industry were in mm. also smaller organizations are much more likely to have a kind of civic network in the localities in which they operate so they're much more likely to be closer to those issues and how they manifest in their mm. localities or with their clients or with their employees um, so there is something about recognizing kind of where you can actually influence this mm. sort of th these issues. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm 
quite interested maybe Chris to kind of hear your you are working uh, not just through Made in Britain but with your other work you are engaged with many larger businesses do you think there's a difference in, in kind of attitude when it comes to responsibility around the sort of social justice dimension of of the SDGs and, and of what we've just gone through compared to with the, the SMEs that are members of Made in Britain I'm asking you to make a sweeping generalisation here. I appreciate that's probably not a very good thing to be asking you to do. I've, but I've never it... seen Chris make one of those. <laughs> the whole time I've, I've known him. Um, I think fundamentally this comes back to employment and decent work. You know, you know we're talking about, um, I can't afford, you know, the, the cost of a Made in Britain product, but where is that product then made? And that has to employ people. And generally, the people that are employed will have a better quality job. So whether that's at a large company, medium or a small company, it's about the quality of employment. And employment then provides income, and income then provides security for that household to buy the things they need. And given that they're the, you know, the, the networks and this responsible um, employment, responsible consumption, responsible production message goes through, then it becomes a virtuous circle. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that everything imported is bad. Absolutely not. There are, there are things we really do need to, to import for a, for a good um, and reasonable and resourceful economy. But the more that we manufacture in the UK, the more that we are then helping decent work and employment. And it is that employment that then produces the, the sustainable outcomes that we want to see. Yeah, and that's um, about encouraging people to have, a, as you were saying, a much more sustainable life. Some of the things you're talking about that we've experienced during the, the 100 days of, of COVID so far is that we've actually reduced what we consume because we've had to, because we can't go out and shop quite the same way. I know online shopping's boomed, but people have said, okay, what do I need? And if I need a little bit less and I consume a little bit less, but I'm working locally in a business that's sustainable, that's making something of good quality that's going to last. It's that sense of that that circularity of our life as much as of our production chain and our and our economy, isn't it? It is. And it links through to community. We've seen some fantastic examples of communities that have developed through this. And, you know, as we said before, you know, local manufacturers are a really key and active member of their communities because they employ people from that community and they live in that community and they're an active member of those communities. And, you know, that that links through into the contribution they have in terms of the social value that that business will bring. And it links in back in, I'll say it again, back into the decent jobs and into the work and into the way in which we we employ people. And you said earlier that this is, you know, where business leads, government will follow. So what's your call to government and for policymakers around that green recovery and the build back better and being more resilient? What would you say needs to be top of that list? I I think it's the number one thing is use the power of their own procurement. Government buys a lot of things. And it's a really important thing if they signal through their own procurement that they are seeking to, to prefer to buy from manufacturers who are able to demonstrate that they are doing the right things for the SDGs. So whether that is made in Britain or whether it's um, fair tax, um, you know, those companies pay the right level of tax, whether they've got science-based targets, whether they're combating climate change, whether they're reducing inequalities, you know, a whole range of things. The amount of money government spend is massive and they could have a really huge impact on recover better 
by being smart about what they procure. Haven't got a very good track record so far, have they? <laughs> well, you did ask me to, to kind of uh, you know, come up with my. You're right. Own. No, you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. It's absolutely the right call. We, you know, we have you, to help. We have, well, we we have to help them. You know, this is a, an awful lot of people in the civil service and, and the political leaders that are working with them. Um, and heaven knows they need help in a hell of a lot of areas at the moment. But I think, you know, the policy of, of Made in Britain has always been to try and be helpful to government. And we be helpful in, in ways that we can um, by bringing our members all together in one place, listed in one open public directory where you can find things uh, from our members and you can find our members and you can find their phone numbers and their email addresses. But you can also, you know, ask us about about many, many other details of those businesses. And we would just encourage government uh, and we do encourage government because we work very closely with them, trying to let them know that, you know, there are a surprising number of small uh, to medium enterprise manufacturers in Britain that are making very affordable, long lasting things that they should be buying more of. Um, and I think that's the key is, is to say, well, this is this isn't just about, you know, buying less of everything it's about buying less of some things and, and more of others and, and that's a way that we can have an impact on on what people are, are doing to contribute to the recovery yeah, well, i mean i've been i've been chair of made in britain now just coming on three years and one of the things that we've been adamant about all the way through is the quality of the mark so you know it's very easy to for, for companies and for anybody to put any label saying anything on any product but it's the provenance and so you know through john and his team you know we're spending a lot of time making sure that if the made in britain uh, logo is put on a product it really has been made in britain and we're asking all sorts of questions to validate that all sorts of checks uh, right the way through from you know all the, the, the various issues of sustainability and quality and you know, and provenance and um, fiduciary, you know, are they paying? Are they paying VAT? Are they paying tax? You know, all the things you'd expect, so that they are trusted, responsible businesses. And it and it is that it's that mark of quality, um, because there are so many people that you know out there that put any you know greenwash statement on a product. But when you know the research that Johnny's team did was very clear, people want to actively want to buy products made in Britain, but they don't know how. And that's where the Made in Britain logo comes in and the mark comes in because John and his team have done all the hard work so that you don't have to worry. That was actually going to be one of my questions was, um, I don't want to call it SDG washing, but I'm going to call it SDG washing. Um, but there, there is arguably uh, an intention versus action gap when it comes to sustainability. And, and that's understandable in many cases, because actually there are a lot of things you need to put in place or a lot of changes you need to make if you want to achieve the actions that you set as an organisation. Mm. But we we do need to go further and faster than we currently are. Mm. So what are you doing as Made in Britain to kind of push your members to take this one step further? Yeah. Um, also recognising, you know, the constraints that we are now operating within. Yeah, well, I think... Um... You know, we're, we're doing uh, as much as we can. Um, I mean, we started promoting the goals to members uh, two years ago. And that was as a result of, of the relationship that, that Chris had with, uh, with the UN Global Compact. We're very close to them as well. Um, and I think, you know, the, the main thing that we're doing is really introducing our members to the goals and saying, look, this is for you. It's a language that you can use. And 
and what do you know number one is about poverty i mean you know speaking to a business that's small and telling them that there's a language they can use around the world where you know i've not met anyone who doesn't agree that number one should be poverty i mean personally i'm, I'm somebody who's, who's spent the last you know 35 years wondering why we haven't solved the po poverty problem already and i'm sure a lot of people feel like that so i think just you know really communicating to our members as we do very frequently we have lots of communication channels with them and telling them that this is something where you know they have a, a significant relevance within sdg 12 but it's also you know a global language for referring to the these ultimate goals which is to reduce well to eliminate poverty um and, and eliminate hunger around the world and i think that's a that's a really good club to be in and if we can tell you know a thousand businesses that are employing you know hundreds of thousands of people and we can normalize it within their business environment then i think that's uh, that's a really good start and and you know as an organization obviously we're committed to sdg 12 but for me you know 17 is is equally important because that's the partnership is communicating this disseminating those messages and making people feel part of it yeah. And that's about connectivity, isn't it? And it's probably a really good place to, to draw this discussion to a close, because I think you've just shown so clearly that it doesn't matter what size your business is, the SDGs are relevant. And that takes you from your small local manufacturing base to a global community. And that's where we're, because we're all global citizens. Um, thank you so much, John and Chris, for being part of this podcast. Fascinating discussion. And I'm hoping that listeners will now rush out and examine every product to see if it's got the Made in Britain label in. And if it hasn't got it on the bottom, they're going to put it back on the shelf. Emily, thank you for co-hosting this series so brilliantly. It's been fascinating to have this deep dive into the SDGs. And I hope it's left listeners wanting more. And perhaps we can come back later in the autumn and revisit some of the topics and see how we're getting on. Um, my huge thank you to, to you and to our guests and to Jim for our producer. Um, you can catch up on these podcasts and previous editions if you miss them on the um, PlanetPod website, theplanetpod.com, or on UKSSD website, obviously. And you can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Excellent. You can subscribe or, or where you get your podcasts. All good oh, podcast yes. providers, I think, is the phrase that we use at this point. Exactly. Um, yeah, so do subscribe and, and do listen to other episodes. So thank you to my guests and thank you to Emily as co-host and thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks. The UK SSD podcast, bringing the sustainable development goals to life. Thank you.